Welcome to the Public Safety Hour on WTMJ Now. It's time to take a look at the issues facing public safety officials in Wisconsin and across the country. Joining Steve Scafidi, here's your expert, Annie Schwartz. And good morning, everybody. Welcome to Wednesday's Public Safety Hour. Yes, Annie Schwartz in studio. Good morning, Annie. Your expert. I can't get used to that. That's kind of cute because oh, I always can, make. We can change it if you want. No, no, I like it. Expertress. I don't know. I I always remember the the joke about the definition of an expert is anybody from more than a hundred miles from home with a briefcase or a PowerPoint. So, but uh, higher, but I'll take it. We have higher standards than that. Absolutely. So we I'll had take an it. interesting hour today. Uh, joining us at nine thirty is the former police chief of Milwaukee. Al Morales, who is now the Fishburg police chief, and he, and he's got an interesting story to tell, and one that you and I have talked about before, and it has to do with uh, some people's idea that we should defund the police. Well, sure, and you know we thought that issue was dead, but you're going to find out that in you know fabulous Fitchburg, Wisconsin, it is not dead, and he's what what's happening is Chief Morales is trying to trying to keep trying to keep this from happening. You know, we all remember the. The uh, Cop City uh, uh, protests in Atlanta mm-hmm. when they were building For a train. Folks who don't know, when we say Cop City, I've, I've, I've watched a lot of, about this story. Uh, very controversial in Atlanta. How would you describe what that project is? Sure. Well, in, in a nutshell, the Cop City project in Atlanta was when the Atlanta Police Department, or the city of Atlanta rather, uh, decided they were going to build a training facility on uh, on some land in uh, in Atlanta and. Uh, it, it was at the, you know, uh, one of the many awful things that came out of the George Floyd case was, of course, this idea that the police have too much power. We should not give them more money to train. And actually what the lessons of George Floyd were, were they need more resources to train with. But I think people don't always understand what is available to the officers. And while you heard about in Atlanta, they had they even had a, a protester who was shot and killed by an officer mm-hmm. uh, because they became violently opposed. There is a small group of people who are opposed to a new police station for the city of Fitchburg. But it's an interesting discussion. I think Chief Morales is going to is going to surprise us a little bit with. What conditions some police departments are actually operating under in their facilities? As a journalist covering the the police beat, I covered a ton of stories where police departments were just begging for new facilities. I remember the uh, village of Pewaukee when uh, Ed Bauman was chief there, and you know he they they were begging for a new police department. In fact, I went through with him. And we walked and he showed me all the piles of, you know, papers and, you know, how evidence storage, you know, was was being taken care of or not taken care of. Right. So I think it's a you know, this is going to be a I'm looking forward to the discussion because, you know, Chief Morales had served in Milwaukee and then from Milwaukee went to Fitchburg, obviously a, a smaller community. But this is a huge project and it's a huge thing to walk into a department as the police chief. And have someone say, hey, we think that somewhere in the, you know, $40 million range is a new police chain, a, a new a new police uh, training facility that we need, a new police department that would include a training facility. Having been in charge of a city that both built a new police station and a new city hall, actually, and a new library as well. I mean, mm-hmm. these are these are very controversial decisions, not necessarily in, in our case for the, the idea of a police station, but for the amount of money that has to be devoted to those projects. And that's, you know, and what people see it as is they don't see it as an investment in their safety. They see it as a an opportunity cost. Well, 
if we're doing this, there must be something else we're not paying for. In Fitchburg, they've built a library mm-hmm. and three fire stations. Well, I'm not saying those things aren't important, but you're going to hear Chief Morales talk about exactly what the conditions are like there and why this is so important for the for the city. She is Annie Schwartz. We've got some local stories to cover before we get to uh, Chief Al Morales. That'll be about 9.30. Annie Schwartz and yours truly, the Public Safety Hour, right here on WTMJ. This girl is on fire. Well, not literally. Not literally. Figuratively, she's on fire. Although we're... This, this sort of relates to a story related to the Milwaukee firefighters and a and an older um, Supreme Court decision last year, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. That yes. awarded these firefighters from the city employees' retirement system some some sort of recalculated benefits. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then a local law is it local law firm, right? It's a local law firm, McGillis mm-hmm. Weimer. They put their hands on it and said, you know what, we're going to take some of the the money from this suit as compensation. I wanted to point out, though, you and I were talking about this during the break. They were already paid by the union, correct? Previously. I've been told that that is true. Uh, what I think is, is important, though, is, you know, when people hear about, about these kinds of stories, it, it's important for them to know that the, the, when, when, when in this particular case, when this firm is asking for um, money that is owed to disabled police officers. This doesn't come out of a mystery fund somewhere. This doesn't come out of the city coffers. This comes directly out of the pockets. Yeah, we're talking about one third cut of two million, basically seven hundred thousand dollars of compensation. They feel the firm of McGillis Weimer feels they're entitled to as a result of this this payment retroactive payments from Milwaukee firefighters. It's a head scratcher, Steve. It really is. You it's know, a bad we, look. It it just is, and you know, I. I, let's talk about it in terms of, of real people, which is really how we, we tell stories, right? Graham Kunish, a police officer who many people remember, was shot in the face and the head uh, on the south side in uh, 2000 and, uh, oh gosh, how did I just forget the, the year? I think it was about 2010. Um, and he had to retire as a police officer, lost an eye, serious damage to his frontal lobe, and... He is owed as when the benefits, his duty disability retirement benefits were recalculated. He is now owed in the neighborhood of thirty thousand dollars. And what's happening is you have a law firm who's come along and said, we want, you know, ten thousand of that. We want a third of that. So it's to me, it's this is tough because I understand completely that that, you know, law firms should get paid when they when they do work for clients. But. They, these were not even clients of this law firm. And there's, there's been a lot of, of very interesting comments and a lot of really informative comments. I would invite people to, you know, to look at some of that, uh, from Andy Wagner, the president of the Milwaukee Police Association. And he has talked very fully about, uh, about how he feels he was about on our this. Airwaves, I, I believe, uh, Monday of this week or maybe it was last Friday, but I saw him in the building. Um, McGillis Weimer is demanding a third of the back benefits, right? Correct. Paid to the retired cops, uh, even the, and as you said, they were not a party to this case. That's the tricky part, right? So they weren't directly working on the case, but yet they're they feel they're entitled to that seven hundred thousand dollars because of the work that they They've did on the, on the first one. Right. And you know, I've been trying to think of an analogy for it, but I really can't. Uh, but I, I here's a sports analogy. Ooh. You played in a team that went to the Super Bowl, but you were traded mid season. You played in the first half of the season. You feel like you should get a Super Bowl ring. 
Oh, now, I, now sometimes see, that happens. There's a, sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's up to the team. Mm-hmm. So who makes the call on this? Who's going to make the final call? Judge Brittany Grayson. So this is now in uh, in court in Milwaukee County. Judge Brittany Grayson heard um, uh, arguments on this on Monday of this week. And now she has said that she is going to issue a written response uh, within 60 days. So within 60 days, we'll hear what uh, what she has to say and, and what she has decided. I'm on the side of the uh, them not getting paid. They already paid once. I, I understand that settlements are part of what uh, law firms use to capitalize their law firms and as part of their compensation. But this one's a little tricky, especially what we're talking about here with uh, firefighters and, and police officers. That's a, that's a little different, and I, I'm on the, the side of the, the public safety professionals. That's me. And I'm almost always on that side as well, uh, and I certainly am in, in this case. Annie Schwartz, take another break here. A dress code, a, a policy <laughs> that is sort of interesting. I have some thoughts, I know Annie does, on are we going back to some standards for how police officers, is it firefighters too or just police officers? I think that, the, you know what, if someone is in our, our audience who's a firefighter and can tell me, I think that firefighters are not allowed to have, like, full beards because right. they have to be able to get yeah. that SCBU around right. their, their faces. Right that. Yeah, so that may already be the case. But for police officers, uh, both men and women, there may be some changes that may or may not be popular. We'll talk about that with Andy Schwartz, our public safety expert, after this. Wednesdays at 9, mean Annie Schwartz at 9, now 926 on WTMD. Thanks for tuning in. How are you finding us over the air? Online podcast. I do three podcasts a week now. Two, Decision Wisconsin on politics. And the one I sort of really love is Scafidiology, named after me, which is me talking about everything else other than politics. Shocked, simply shocked <laughs> to find out that it is called Scafidiology. Yeah. Isn't, isn't it a clever name? Pardon me? Uh, isn't it a clever name? Oh, I, I, I don't know how in the world you came up with it. Yeah. Well, I just took Ology and put it on my name. Well, I figured you were staring in the mirror when you did it. So <laughs> I, I don't spend a lot of time staring in the mirror. You know me better than that. <laughs> All right. Speaking of that, sometimes when public safety professionals stare in the mirror, they see tattoos and beards and facial hair and long hair. Well, maybe not in the future, Annie Schwartz. Well, you know, NYPD, the New York City Police Department, largest, is it the largest police department in the country? I think so. I think, so. So. I think LA is like number two. Yeah, they're probably pretty close. But, uh, you know, they are usually on the cutting edge of whatever is happening in law enforcement. They were the ones that started the stop and frisk and then stop and frisk, you know, moved through the country, through police departments across the country. Well, NYPD has their hands full these days, as we've seen. Uh, I mean, we've seen it all. You watch the news at night and you are seeing what's happening on the streets of a lot of our our major cities well the nypd has said uh we're gonna we're gonna go back to old school when it comes to facial hair and officer uniforms and you know they're going to soon they they're just they've decided that uh their beards and open collars are going to be prohibited soon and the uh, department's going to go back to weather restrictions on knit caps Mm. and he says we're going back old school and I think that he's, they're trying to go back to a, a tradition that, you know, was always identified with the police. I, I think, you know, I remember when, uh, when Ed Flynn was chief here and he introduced baseball hats for the officers. And then he introduced, he had, he even made sure that the female officers could put their ponytails, right. you know, or the, a bun in the back of the, there was a hole in the back of the cap for the, for the ponytail. And I had no idea how much changing that would be a morale booster for that department. But they loved 
They love that baseball hat. Now you see them everywhere. But in NYPD, I think they're really struggling to figure out how do we get back to basics in this department so that we can we can do something about uh, is there a connection between how groomed your officers are and their ability to prevent violent crime? So I have a, both a personal take on it. I like it. But I also understand the realities of, of public safety now. And I, I talk to more chiefs than I do just the men and women who, who patrol and do all the other hard work, heavy work, heavy lifting every day. I would imagine this wouldn't be popular, let's say, here. Because I can remember a time when you couldn't display your tattoos. They had to be covered. Exactly. I can remember a time when you couldn't have facial hair for public safety professionals. I think that ship has sailed. Mm-hmm. And whatever New York's doing, well, that's New York. I don't see that catching on in other departments across the country. As I said, NYPD has often led uh, other departments in the in the country on things that they do and procedures that they have. This one, you know, is uh, they are they're they're understaffed. I, this is a quote from their from their union, which I think the PBA, the Police Benevolent Association, right. which makes a lot of sense. He says NYPD is understaffed by thousands of police officers. He said we got hundreds of people leaving every month. He said, really, we got we don't have bigger issues to tackle. And he said, you know, is this really the time to focus on beards and neckties? And I get that argument. Mm -hmm. But I think what's happening is there is a real struggle, at least in that department, to figure out what are we going to what are we going to do? You know, there is uh, there are there are different looks uh, that police officers have. Some of them are cultural. Uh, Some of them are religious. Uh, Sikh officers are allowed to wear the 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 head covering. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there are uh, there are officers that that feel strongly or maybe uh, uh, just don't understand how that's a part of the job that they can't have a, a fuller beard. So to me, you know, I I. NYPD is going to do whatever they can do to right the ship, and I I sure get that. It is led now by a group of really traditional officers, kind of in the style of Bill Bratton from Once Upon a Time. Yeah, I I would just say this, uh, not coming to a police department in the state of Wisconsin anytime soon. These changes. I, so. I haven't heard that. I don't want to. This should not be interpreted as a call to maybe action. We'll, maybe we'll ask Chief Morales what his take is on that. That'd be kind of fun. There you go. All right. He joins us after the break. Chief Morales from the Fitchburg Police Department. You may know him as the former chief of the Milwaukee Police Department. All of that's an Annie Schwartz. That's worth the price of admission just on its own. That's all next. I love this song. I'm going to let it play for a little bit. No, I'm not. We have a great guest. Former chief of the Milwaukee Police Department and now the chief police chief in Fitchburg, Wisconsin. Chief Al Morales joins us in the Tri-County Contracting Hotline. Good morning, Chief. Good morning, Steve. How are you doing? I'm good. Andy Schwartz alongside. Good morning, Chief. I'm so happy you joined us today to talk about this. Hello, Annie. Uh, thank you both for having us here. We're, right. We appreciate it. So Annie kind of filled me in on some of this. I was not aware of this, but uh, I'll put it this way. I'm going to kind of let you go on this. Just when we thought, Annie and I thought, that the fun the police movement is sort of over, well, apparently it's still alive in uh, the place where you reside and serve, Fitchburg. Yeah, I, I would say that's correct. There's still groups in Dane County and within Madison or outside of the city of Fitchburg that still believe on taking money from uh, service, public services like uh, law enforcement and placing them more on social services or services out of the realm of uh city government. Uh, there's still that push, and when you have projects like the ones that we have going on here at Fitchburg, they tend to uh, come out and uh, voice their opinions. 
Chief, the, the idea of having a new police, a, a police station, a new police building, uh, a lot of times I think there's a misunderstanding in the public. We, Steve and I were talking earlier, done lots of stories as a journalist about uh, police chiefs having these battle royales with their city councils over trying to get a new police building. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what it was like when you just walked into Fitchburg and you saw what kind of a, you know, what was what you were looking at and how you came to the the you know the the process of saying we gotta we gotta change this up. Yes, well, I first have to start off by uh, explaining what Fitchburg looks like. It's a city of thirty four square miles, just south of the city of Madison. This is a beautiful place. Uh, you, it's got a lot of things to offer. Um, it's an area where I tell you, really, it's a place where you can live, work, and raise a family. Uh, you, uh, the the incomes are well. Um, I mean, it's very vibrant. Uh, all day long, you'll see a lot of traffic. You'll see people uh, exercising, whether on a bicycle or walking or walking their pets. Um, really safe, crime-wise. I mean, unbelievably safe to what we're used to over on the east side of the state. Uh, but uh, it's fastly growing. And uh, when I came into uh, uh, Fitchburg, uh, the Fitchburg Police Department, I realized that uh, – you know, it started off as a small farming uh, community, and it has grown to a city uh, that's growing. Currently, or 2023, we were the fastest-growing city in the state of Wisconsin, just under 10% wow. growth. That's about 725 residents a year. So we're growing at a pace where we're currently at 34,000, and we'll be at 40 within the next five to seven years. So what does that mean when it comes to – when you're talking police – we know that there's yeah. a huge recruiting and retention problem, uh, but we also know we we are you know we need to have more training for our officers. What kind of facility are you looking at that you have now, and what are you what are you looking to build? Well, you're hitting right on the money. We're we I came to a city where realistically there is no police station. We're in the basement of City Hall. Now, when they built City Hall back in 1999. Uh, they did build it with the intention of having the police in the lower levels, uh, but they really didn't take into consideration what it takes to build a police station. So uh, City of Fishburg Police Department has yet in their history to have a police station, a police facility that's purpose-built for the police department. And, and there's a lot of pieces that go into building a police station that is not like any other general building uh, uh, and many times when you talk with people about building a facility, they look at it as office space. And a police station is not office space. So when I came to Fitchburg, uh, you, you indicated right away after 2020, there was a large group of, uh, uh, of uh, tenured police officers and rank and file that left. They retired or they quit, resigned. And now we have a young department uh, in that's anywhere in the state or the country Law enforcement has, is very young, and um, we, we need to rebuild that piece. And the other challenge in Fitchburg is a police station, the first in their history. And that's what I'm trying to do is get them a station that's going to help us transition into this new era and, and really help the department grow to give the, the community here what they deserve. And what people don't know or probably, probably haven't read is that you, the city has built a new library, Right. They've built, I think, three yeah. new fire stations. And yet you're still sitting in the basement. What did you say? 19 in the 1990s in a basement of City Hall. That, that doesn't seem equitable 
well, especially given the significance and importance of public service from public safety perspective. Equitable or safe. Right. I mean, did, right. Chief, weren't you, we were, when we were speaking about this issue, you were talking about some of the conditions uh, at the department, the things like no Sally Port. Can you tell us a little bit about the things that you don't have there? I mean, that's got to be, I, I, I was, I was shocked. Yes. As law enforcement leaders, we always look at our, our police uh, departments to be accredited. And when I came to Fitchburg, uh, the prior uh, leadership did a great job at pushing our accreditation with the staff. So we're do, the, the, the officers here do great work, and, and we do have our policies and our checks and measures for that, but the facility alone will fail us. And it would fail us because of, without pointing the finger, who knows what the thought processes were in 99 when this uh, city hall was built. So I don't want to point the finger, but um, we, we, I'll give you a perfect example. When we're packaging um, drugs such as marijuana, uh, it's, it fills the air in the entire city hall. So you could be up at council chambers. You could smell the uh, the through the HVAC system. You could smell the marijuana coming from the basement. Not necessarily and good luck for the police department. <laughs> No, not necessarily. Uh, many people don't know where the Fishburg Police Department is. That's a problem. There's only too. one sign outside, and it's uh, again we're in the in the lower levels. So I, I call it the basement. Mm-hmm. Um, our ev- our evidence is a basement, so we struggle with moisture. Uh, if you can know what damp basements are, and that's also where our closet is for our ammunition. So those things need to be kept in dry, temperature controlled uh, environments, which we don't have. Um, this building was, or the police uh, area that we had, was built more like office space than a police facility. Uh, and I could just tell you the world that I came from. Uh, if you built a police station, it has its garage where you can park squad cars, uh, where you can, uh, and there's a reason for that, and uh, where you can unload safely a prisoner or load a prisoner safely. Uh, where uh, you can package narcotics, where you have your executive or command staff that can actually have meetings without being interrupted or without having staff immediately outside your door, Uh, especially if there's sensitive uh, topics such as internal investigations, where you have your patrol area where they can conduct their business, their briefings, their roll calls, and, uh, you know, not be interrupted by the other moving parts within the, the station. Those are purpose-filled facilities to include the, 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 the holding area, the, the temporary holding facility, which are these temporary jails where you book and process people and interview them before they go to the county jail. Uh, that is a purpose-built uh, facility, and if you built it right, that building will last several years, uh, like they have in Milwaukee, and many times what you invest in is more in upgrades than you do in tearing down the building and putting up another one. He is Chief Al Morales, City of Fitchburg, also formerly from the City of Milwaukee, the police department here. We'll take a break. We'll continue the conversation with Chief Morales after this on WTMJ Now. Public Safety Hour here on WTMJ Now. Andy Schwartz in studio and on the phone. Tri-County Contracting Hotline is the former police chief of Milwaukee, now the Head guy at the Fitchburg Police Department, Al Morales. So, Chief Morales, I want to ask you, a lot of people say, well, it's what they have, they have to deal with it. But it's not as simple as that. You're paying for other facilities, other places to do your jobs. That's coming out of the budget, and that's something that's not sustainable over over time. That's why some of these decisions are really important. I know you have a, a vote next Tuesday, I believe, on a new police station. This stuff matters. 
Yes, it does. It matters. Uh, we have a staff uh, currently that uh, is has under three years of experience. So when we talk about training, we're we're really uh, uh, utilizing only the minimum uh, requirements or just above the minimum requirements because of venue. Uh, currently, we use or we rent out space at uh, the City of Madison's uh, Training Academy or Dane County Sheriff's uh, Training Facility. Uh, now, as we all know, there is a large turnover in law enforcement and we're still suffering uh, the impact of 2020. Uh, so you're going to have more training academy classes going on and you're going to be retraining or training young officers in uh, on just general concepts within law enforcement on a regular basis. So we, we are currently six months behind minimum to get space over in Madison. Uh, ranges of uh, firearms ranges are hard to come by. Uh, we're spending over $12,000 a year just to rent out facilities, whether it's for firearms or just classroom uh, or, uh, or scenario rooms. Um, being that we're, we're coming up on uh, just basically one of the biggest cities in Dane County at behind Madison, uh, we need to have some place where we can train and also allow for other people within the region, Dane County, to use that facility if we're really going to promote uh, competent and qualified law enforcement for the community. You had to kind of go around Fitchburg and you had to do a bit of a road show, didn't you, Chief? You had to kind of go around and tell people this is why that's important. Um, and I, I'm just wondering what were the what were the most common questions or common concerns people had about the about a, a new police building, or did you mostly hear, "Thank God, Chief, we're behind you. We get this done." I can tell you that uh, we started doing community meetings January of 2023. Um, some meetings we went in every uh, neighborhood we could within the city of Fitchburg. I am um, very happy to be well received here within the community. Uh, the support is there. Um, what uh, has been shocking when we tell them what we're staffed with for a city the size of uh, 34 square miles and uh, the community here knowing how fast it's growing. And Fitchburg, the north end of Fitchburg, uh, is fastly growing with multi-unit apartment uh, complexes and uh, uh, condo, uh, big areas with condo associations. Uh, it's coming dense on the north end. So when we sh- explained the type of staffing that they have for this city, they're shocked to hear the numbers. And when they, well, we've walked through uh, the police station, our current station, our area, that uh, we walked them through, they're shocked to see what we have to work with. So we've been educating the community, and they have uh, responded pretty well in support of it. What I'm noticing, uh, the majority of the people that are against it are not really from the the city of Fitchburg. No kidding. Shocking. That's yeah. sarcasm. Yeah. And I, I think that's where some of this cop city nonsense comes that, that you're seeing, you know, scattered around your community. Um, a couple of things. One, I want you to say hi next time you see him to your fire chief out there. Cause I used to work with him in Oak Creek, Joe Pulvermacher. And got to ask you about what you miss about Milwaukee. You were here for a long time. What do you miss? I'll start off with what I don't miss. I don't miss uh, <laughs> politics. Okay. Yeah. I, I hear you. And, and, and the crime, but I, I really miss the people. I grew up there, um, and I miss the people. I mean, there's so many stories of people. I mean, the Calderon Club, the the Fazari family, uh, you have the um, 
Soberman family, Dave, these are people that my family went to school with. Uh, you, and then you have the, the nice eateries on the south side, like uh, Casa de Alberto, uh, the Sandoval family. These are people that grew up. Uh, they didn't come up with money. They made. They created some very good businesses. I grew up with them, and those are the people I miss. Uh, and and seeing you know the struggles and the challenges that they have to they have gone through uh, with uh, how uh, Milwaukee has changed. So I miss them. I miss obviously the the personnel that I work with in Milwaukee for uh, you know twenty twenty seven years. Uh, those people I do miss, and I and you know it, it's hard uh, to forget about that. Professionally speaking, what did you take with you from your experience in Milwaukee to Fitchburg? Uh, what I brought here is uh, the, the, uh, how I was brought up over there is the team concept. There's a great staff here. Um, what, what's nice when you, come, when you leave uh, a city like Milwaukee, you uh, see a, a, a departments like Fitchburg that uh, really have the time to think things through, uh, you know, work them through, and, and, and come up with some nice plans. Uh, when you're working so fast and there's, uh, you know, kind of like a trauma center in the hospital, at any moment there, there, you got to triage something. Here, uh, there's less triage and there's more uh, well-thought-out plans. And, and the staff is uh, very bright, younger than what I'm used to dealing with, but very bright. <laughs> and uh, there is a good future in law enforcement with the staff that we have. And the vote is Tuesday in Fitchburg? Yes, it is. Uh, there will be a vote in the Common Council to uh, discuss uh, the schematic design and uh, the budget for it, hmm. and you have eight uh, eight aldermen on your uh, on your city council. We're gonna we're gonna hope for an eight zero vote, which is what it should be. But we know that the world is the world that we're living in, and you know that might not happen. But if if promise me this as an old reporter that uh, if media are gonna ever do stories about response times, if they're gonna if they're going to do stories criticizing the police department, uh, it it this harken back to this day, people, when you voted on your on your police department. I'll just piggyback off of that, Annie. Uh, look at any lawsuit that happens within law enforcement, consent decrees. I don't care how big or how small. Look at what occurred in Ovalde. Um, when the after-action reports come out, one major component out of the after-actions is training. And we have a young department. We have young officers in our state and country. We really have to focus on that training piece. Well said, Chief Morales, Al Morales from the city of Fitchburg. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you very much. Thank you for giving us this opportunity. And thank you, Chief. Uh, Good luck on Tuesday. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Chief Al Morales joining us on the Public Safety Hour. Annie Schwartz and I will wrap up the hour after this. Thanks to Chief Al Morales from the city of Fitchburg. Police Department coming on. It was fun to talk to him. I I saw him at an event recently. That was a nice visit with him. I appreciated the that that he came on with us and had a conversation. And you know, whether it's Milwaukee or Fitchburg, the police chiefs are police chiefs, and they they have their own set of problems, as my as my father used to say. Same dog, different fleas. So we were talking earlier about the New York deciding maybe they're going to change their dress code to toughen it up, old school. I get. And we were talking about we didn't we wasn't we weren't sure about firefighters. So mm-hmm. a bunch of apparently firefighters weighed in. I got to read this one. That's correct. Firefighters can only have mustaches, which is why we look good in calendars. <laughs> <laughs> Great response. There I like that from a from a texter. Um, it's a sad date today, and I want I don't want to get out of here uh, in talking with you without remembering this date. 
It is. It is a it's a sad day in the for not just the Milwaukee Police Department, but for the city of Milwaukee and all those of us who are part of the law enforcement family and who love the the law enforcement family. Today is one year since Milwaukee Police Officer Peter Jerving was shot and killed. Uh, He was 37 years old, Mm -hmm. uh, shot and killed in the line of duty on February 7th during a struggle with an armed robbery suspect. And what a lot of people may not know is that though he was wounded, Police officer Jerving was able to return fire and kill the suspect. And when we say hero, we're talking about police officers like Peter Jerving. So we're sending out so much uh, uh, love to our our blue family, as we call ourselves, um, to Patty Jerving, uh, Peter's mother, who uh, I know is, listens to to the show, and and people like Mary Kay Balchunas, who lost her son Jay in the line of duty. Uh, more than uh, I think uh, was twenty, at least twenty years ago, I believe. I think um, who now those two women are bonded by something that they would have never wanted to be bonded by. So we're thinking about the Milwaukee Police Department today. Yesterday was uh, the anniversary, if we can call it that, uh, of the death of police officer Matt Rittner, mm-hmm. uh, my old police aide, my former police aide. And uh, and so we, when we post something on social media, uh, when the Milwaukee Police Association posts on social media, we shall never forget. That's not just a hashtag. We that's why we remember every year, every anniversary date, no matter how long ago, even back to the 1800s to the 1860s, we'll get out there and we will remember. Uh, those who gave their the ultimate sacrifice for this community. Well said, and I go back to something the chief said. One of the things, the issues, it's not just a building. It's about training. And when you have young officers, mm-hmm. young departments, that training can help them in situations like Officer Jerving had to deal with, and he ultimately took out that, that armed suspect. He was a training officer that night, I yeah. believe. I think he was training a, a, a younger officer. So it's not, it, it's it's a bigger story uh, than a new police station. It is how much do we care about our law enforcement, right? And we, we care deeply about our, our law enforcement, at least here in, in, in the studio and in the city. Brilliant hour, Annie Schwartz, law enforcement communications expert, subject matter expert, and I always appreciate your wisdom and, and the fact that you come in and share that with us. I'm, I'm grateful that we devote an hour to talking about public safety issues. Uh, and I, we would love to hear from anybody who's got an idea for a topic, too. You know, Absolutely. if they think there's something, hey, why don't they talk about this? Don't stop me in, you know, in the Sendex and say, hey, why don't you guys talk about this? Send uh, send Stephen out there and say, listen, let's let's talk about this one. Never more important than right now. Annie, I'll see you next week. The news is next on WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's WTMJ Now. News. Opinions. Wisconsin. Everything you need to know in the Badger State and beyond. Here's your host, Steve Scafidi. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Welcome, Wisconsin. Welcome the rest of you, wherever you are. Thanks for tuning in on this hump day edition. Yes, hump day. I still say that. Has it gone out of fashion? I don't know. I don't care. Uh, great first hour with Annie Schwartz and we are, and our special guest, former Milwaukee Police Chief Al Morales. I know buildings are... City buildings, civic buildings are not popular. Who wants to pay a lot of money? Millions of dollars. But sometimes those expenses, that infrastructure is necessary. And one of my old police chief buddies uh, sent me uh, a great text. I didn't get to it during the, the hour. I just want to read. He says, regarding building police departments, take it out of the chief's hand and create a, develop, a diverse future needs committee. 
They can make an unbiased recommend, recommendation of the council. The chief is only an ad hoc member of the committee, worked perfectly at Oak Creek, and was a very professional, credible group. I agree completely. And that, that's a smart way to look at a, a problem that a lot of communities face. There's budget challenges, right? Budgets are tighter. We have a frozen tax levy accepting growth in a community. And if you're not a city that's growing, you have very, very tough budgets. And you have had tough budgets for the last, what, 11, 12 years. So that's a reality that we have to talk about. All right, speaking of reality, for new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, that was a cold, hard, figurative slap in the face yesterday. His Ukraine funding bill went down in flames. And what he was holding up as sort of the gold standard of we're not putting up with the uh, the Biden administration's mess at the border his attempts, unsuccessful attempts, to uh, toss out the Homeland Security chief, uh, Mayorkas, for some reason I always forget his first name, Alejandro Mayorkas, um, it went down in flames. Democrats and a few Republicans, one being, and this is sort of a stunner shocker, our own congressman from Wisconsin, Mike Gallagher. I've said this before. I think he's the smartest congressman we have in the state. I don't agree with him on everything. I was very disappointed in how strident and strong he was on January 6, 2021. And then he backpedaled and basically gave up all the goodwill that I think he established with a lot of Republican and Democratic voters with his comments on live television as the riots were happening in the U.S. Capitol building. That being said, I want to give him credit where credit's due. Congressman Gallagher joined three other Republicans and all the Democrats, every one of them, in rejecting the impeachment vote against Secretary Mayorkas. He said this, Congressman Mike Gallagher, Mayorkas has faithfully implemented President Biden's open open border policies that help create the dangerous crisis at the southern border. But the proponents of impeachment failed to make the argument as to how a stunning incompetence meets the impeachment Threshold Republicans outlined while defending former President Donald Trump. Brilliant statement. Perfect statement. Now, of course, in this crazy, you're not Republican, you're not conservative enough world we live in now, in Wisconsin and beyond, now suddenly he's a rhino. He's a lightweight. He's not a real Republican. This is the absurdity of all this. And I tweeted this out you know, moments ago on the X, formerly known as Twitter. And I believe it. And it's silly and stupid and dumb. Republicans in Wisconsin are quickly not Republican enough-ing themselves out of relevance. If you don't agree with the former president, you're tossed to the side of the road. Which makes zero sense when the goal is to actually win elections. It may, It might make you feel good, to think you're right and everybody votes the way you want them to and it's unanimous and, you know, all of the actual debates, willingness to understand complex issues in a nonpartisan, nonpartisan way, that's just thrown out the window now. If you don't do what the former president tells you to do, then you are not a Republican. And smartly, yesterday, Congressman Mike Gallagher says, you know what, no. There has to be a standard. For this point alone, and I heard a lot of people making this point last night, and they're right. If the standard for impeachment is you're just mad about something, we're going to have impeachments every 
session of Congress, which in an era of Congress not doing enough real work means even less work. 855-616-1620, the WTMJ talking text line. This stuff drives me nuts. It's sort of like when Justice Brian Hagedorn doesn't go along with the other conservatives on the court. Suddenly he's not a conservative. I know Justice Hagedorn. He's a strong conservative. He's actually very smart. He understands complex issues, which, and this is going to hurt some feelings out there, most voters don't. Most voters look at things on a very superficial, shallow level. They don't do their homework. They read stuff on the Internet. They're crazy uncle from Germany or some other countries. They, You know, all this weird conspiracy nonsense. And that becomes our mantra. They repeat it over and over again at their corner bar or their diner with their buddies sitting there, and suddenly that becomes accepted. Talking points. It's dumb. You should applaud Congressman Mike Gallagher for what he did yesterday. Because he stood up to nonsense. It doesn't mean, so listen carefully for all the naysayers, it doesn't mean that Joe Biden's doing the right thing on the border. He's not. He's made a mess, and Congress is supposed to pick up the pieces of that mess and fix it. But what they'd rather do is have phony impeachment uh, trials, talk about a crisis but pass no legislation because it doesn't look good for the former president's campaign, and pretend they're actually still concerned about it. Those things are all true. So what are we going to do about it? We'll take a break here. You're listening, of course, to WTMJ Now. Congressman Mike Gallagher from the state of Wisconsin says, you know what? The standard's too low. I don't want to get in this revolving door of impeachment after impeachment because you don't like someone not doing their job. Here's the thing about politics, everybody. It's filled with people not doing their jobs at every level. It's more, especially on the national level, this is not breaking news, but maybe it needs to be pointed out more often than some of the talking heads that we currently have entertaining us. And they are entertainers, by the way. Most of them haven't had real jobs outside of being a broadcaster. Not that it's not a real job. It's just life experience matters for perspective on things that are important, especially government. My two cents. Actually, my dollar worth more than two cents. So when you think about this issue from a facts-based perspective, which is how I look at things, we have a problem at the border. We have people crossing, don't even know who they are. We don't know where they're going. They're bringing illegal drugs in the country, human trafficking, all the things that are dangerous to a country like ours. So reasonable, logical elected representatives would say, Let's work together. Let's craft a solution. Let's do something about this. Now, this problem has persisted for decades because on on both sides of the aisle, from Nancy Pelosi to Ron Johnson, they've all shifted their positions. You know, they they, they call it a crisis, but they don't want legislation because it makes the, the job harder, the campaign job harder for former President Donald Trump. All of that stuff's true. But anybody who wasn't looking at it from a political perspective would say, okay, so we have a crisis, right, problem at the border. Let's do something. Let's pass some legislation that makes it harder, tougher for people to come into our country illegally. Most Americans support that. Democrat, Republican, Independent, whatever you are, most, and which is sort of an interesting development, right, because 
Liberals and Democrats generally weren't in favor of policing that border until recently. Then they realized, hey, this might be a political problem. we got to do something about it. So we had an effort by Republicans in the Senate and some members of the House previously to fix the problem, pass legislation, work across the aisle to craft things. And I I was going to read all the the tenets of the uh, H.R. 2 bill last year that never went anywhere past the House. But it crafted real meaningful changes. The Senate bill, haven't read the whole thing, trying to find real things we can do to improve life at the border, stop the flow of all the things I just talked about. More money for resources, hard resources, infrastructure, more money for border patrol, technology, toughening the the rules, sending people back that don't belong here. All those things make sense. But now because of politics, somebody said, why are you so tough on Republicans? I'm tough on everybody. I just said Joe Biden has messed the bed at the border. That's that's not going easy on Joe Biden. It's a it's a train wreck. It's a mess. That's why we saw for the first time some actual progress on legislation until one thing happened. The former president of the United States says, you know what? That's not going to help me run for president. And one by one, even including people that actually worked on this legislation, this proposal, said, yeah, just kidding. We're not going to do it. Let the next president do it. And to my my Republican friends, so if the next president is Joe Biden 2.0, how's that fixing things? How's that going to get us anywhere closer to some real important legislation to stop the flow of illegals into this country? It makes no sense. So I got a lot of commentary from people on the text line about Representative Gallagher. I'll just sample a few. Representative Gallagher did a good thing yesterday in voting not to impeach. He's one of the few real Republicans left in Congress. Hopefully the Republican Party can be rebuilt on politicians like him. Uh, another one from the nines who I'm so proud of Representative Gallagher for doing the right thing this time. He has my votes. Mad props to Congressman Gallagher. All the rest of Wisconsin's congressmen deserve a come on, man. And I had Congressman Tom Tiffany on yesterday. And he voted for the impeachment of Secretary Mayorkas. I didn't agree with it then, and I don't agree with that now. It's become a politically expedient thing to do when you don't like something. Instead of actually focusing on the work, which is something, hopefully, American voters will understand at some point. Because there's far too many voters here in Wisconsin and in the rest of the country who like all the TV stuff, the on the other side stuff, the politics played as a sport. It's just dumb. Peter joins us from Wapaka, one of my favorite places in the state. Hey, Peter. Hey, how are you doing? Good. What do you think? Um, my question is, why do two-thirds of the Republican Party let one-third of the party control their, poly, their politics? Uh, two-thirds of the Republicans don't vote in primaries. They, they leave it up to the crazy one-third to uh, control everything. What's up with that? Great question, Peter. I'll let you hang up and listen to the answer. It's laziness. Can't, can't be bothered to go vote in a primary. 
Can't be bothered to actually do your homework on this stuff. Instead, what do we see? And this is not going to go over well, so prepare yourself. People camp out in their comfortable chairs, watching hours and hours of entertainment television talking about politics, which is what it is now. It's not real politics. It's not real fact-based review of issues. It's entertainment. Happens on radio, too, all the time. Very popular radio shows talk about politics as entertainment. With the backdrops of American flags and jets flying over and all great things. Love the flag, love the jets. Not really what we're supposed to be doing here. There's work to be done. And when you spend all your time, this is to the elected officials, when you spend all your time focused on being on TV and radio shows and arguing about politics wherever, and not actually passing legislation to fix things. Why do we? Why do we have a Congress? So these people can become rich and famous. Most of them aren't worth the time of day listening to them, watching them. They're not that interesting of people. Yet they want to be famous and they want to be rich. And you know who's paying that dime? We are. Congressman Mike Gallagher stood up. To his fellow Republicans, who else is going to be that brave? Not many. I think there's only three other people that joined him, or he was one of three, three or four. Dennis from Pewaukee joins the conversation. Good morning, Dennis. Well, good morning. Thanks for taking my call today, Steve. I Absolute, appreciate that. Absolutely. What do you think? I, well, first of all, I got to say, I, I'm not calling to carry water for Trump by any stretch of the imagination, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you can I, if you I want it. to. I have voted you're, you're all welcome. Well, I, I have. Okay, I have voted for him in the past. I'll admit that. I would not vote for him now. Uh, as a matter of fact, I wish Nikki Haley would get the uh, the nomination. But aside from all of that, okay, I think Trump muddies the waters and makes it virtually impossible for people to have an intelligent conversation about things that matter. And this is one thing that matters. Okay. Now, where I, I want to disagree with you on what you're saying with regards to the the uh, bill that's that's going through or you know trying to go through for the border the senate bill yeah a lot of what you yeah a lot of what you said is true with regards to the things that are in it that would be good for closing down the border you know all the extra stuff you know in terms of resources and what have you but the one thing that's a sticking point in my mind is the fact that it's not closing the border it's allowing up to 5000 people a day correct to be able to come through mm-hmm. and, and then finally close the doors. That's not closing the border. Now, the president administration is saying, well, we can't do it without this bill. Okay. And, and the reality is, like you said, he messed the bed by blowing up a number of the things that the previous administration had done to at least slow, you know, the, the number of people coming through at the border. Okay. But by using the laws that were on the books and through executive orders, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah, also true. Once you codify, once you codify something, as in the bill that's being proposed, it becomes virtually impossible to get rid of that bill. That's why they're not, you know, destroying the bills that already exist. You know, they're trying to put a bandaid on a hemorrhage here with the one that they're proposing, and it's not going to fix it at all. And once you have that as a law. Then forget about trying to close the border because now all of a sudden, hey, we could get 5,000 people in here any day we want. Let and me, that's not going to change. Let me play devil's advocate. Would you rather have 5,000 
to start or twenty thousand? Because some days no, we have. 20, I want 000. them to do what you. I want them to do what you said they should do. They should do their job and close the border. Write a bill. Be brave enough to do your job and write a bill that actually matters that closes the border. If they want to write a bill, in reality, I think they actually should just use the laws that are on the books. And again, go back to using executive orders if they need to to get the rest of the job done. Well, that was starting to work. Let's look at what the uh, the House did, and this is a separate bill. They passed it in May of last year. It's called HR two. It had like a hundred and some different qualifiers to stop the flow of illegals across the border. They passed it. It had no chance of going anywhere. So we can we can go back and forth. That was a very conservative plan. Whatever the Senate version was was, was a combination of Democrats and Republicans trying to craft something. The way, at least okay. in my opinion, the way government works, the best it can work is if you're at least both sides are part of the process. Because what we have now, and this is sort of a speech, and I thank you for your call, Dennis. What we have now is a mess because we have both sides saying basically, ignore the other side, we're going to do what we want. I've argued about this for seven years on the radio. This is what this is what all the nonsense has led to. This is why we're going to have impeachorama for the near future, where you don't like something, impeach him, get him out of there. Happened with Trump. Now it's happening again with this case, Secretary Mayorkas. That's not how you govern in a sane, reasonable, rational world. Mike Johnson, who I trust as far as I can. Look, which is about 20 feet. This guy seems like he's really in charge of things, but on the two most important votes of his short tenure, failed miserably. He didn't even, he wasn't even able to count the votes. He doesn't answer the questions. He lies, which as somebody who's very religious apparently, he lies when it comes to political matters. He says things that are not true. How does that reconcile with his faith? I'm just curious, because I've raised this point before with Democrats and Republicans. You want to be a person of faith, you don't get to lie about politics. Many people have accepted that reality. I don't. And I'm done with this smirkiness, you know, and it's God's will. Was it God's will that Secretary Mayorkas didn't get impeached yesterday? Answer that damn question. Faith in governments in the countries that allow faith to control their government are a train wreck. Listen carefully. Doesn't mean faith's not important. I'm a person of faith. I believe in God. But when you let that be your sole determinant of how you do your damn job, you are in a world of hurt, my friend, and he's learning that now. He may not even be the speaker in a few weeks. So wipe the smile off your damn face Start living in the real world with the rest of us and stop pretending it's 1950. Few people think I'm too hard on Speaker Mike Johnson. You know what? The guy walks around with this umbrella of faith, pretending that's going to be the answer to all the problems that we are facing in this country. It's certainly a help. But it's not the only thing to consider. And he hasn't realized that. He's saying what, what happened yesterday is a mess, what happened here in the House. You lead the House, last time I checked. You're the Speaker. You're unqualified for the position, but after, like, everybody else was not acceptable, they chose you, of all people. 
and you don't answer questions. You're smirking all the time like you have the answer to everything when you can't even figure out basically how to count your votes. Enough of the nonsense. And if I hear one more person say 5,000 is too much, here's how Congress works. The Senate allowed for 5,000. It has to be reconciled with the House. You think they're going to accept 5,000? It's a number. It's a starting point. It's a compromise position. One House doesn't get to decide. Both Senate and House make the rules. This stuff drives me nuts. It should drive you nuts, too. Sam from McHenry. Welcome to the show, Sam. Happy Wednesday. How you doing, Steve? Okay, five thousand. I, I don't give a I don't give a rat's about five thousand. It should be nobody. Have you ever been to Ellis Island, Steve? I have never been to Ellis Island. I think everybody should take a trip there. It'd be a great learning experience. That southern border needs an Ellis Island. It's needed one for a long time. I don't disagree with you, Sam. We don't want to build I don't disagree. Congress wants they want people coming through there. That's why they're throwing the five thousand number around. Five thousand is better than twenty thousand or a hundred thousand. There should be nobody coming across that border unless we know who they are. When you say Period. no, when you say nobody, now, you mean you mean illegal, not legal people coming across the border. Right? I- illegal, yeah. exactly. Okay, you come through legal channels. If you don't want to do that, you don't belong in the country. Period. And if we find you here, we're going to deport you or we're going to put you in jail. We're going to make it. We're not going to make it an attractive thing to break our border and get in here illegally. Here's what drives you stop this problem. Here's what drives me nuts. Now, here's what drives me nuts, Sam. And I'm just going to throw it at you because you're on the phone. Look, this thing's been out of control for decades. There's been no rules. Both sides kind of going back and forth on this. Trump tried to do something. He got shot down. He, even when he had control of Congress, he didn't get it all done. Everybody's tried something. Democrats have been lazy on this since the Biden administration came in office. For the first time in a long time, Sam, there's actually a growing number of Americans of both main parties, Democrat and Republican, who say, you know what, we need we need tougher restrictions on the border. That's the first time that's happened in as long as I can remember. And even that motivation hasn't pushed our representatives in, in Congress to take it seriously. You know why that's happening, Steve? It's yeah. happening because we've wanted it for a long time. Trump came along and did the remain in Mexico. He started building the wall. And he started ramping up deport, deportations. That was starting to slow the whole thing down to a snail's crawl. Because of everything you're always talking about, Steve, Congress doesn't want to act. Because Congress is being pulled on all different ends by all their donors to leave that border open. Okay? So Trump comes along and says, fine, Congress, if you don't want to act, I'm going to act. I'm going to use the powers that I have in my hand to slow that mess down. Now, Biden comes along. He reverses everything that Trump did. Now we are just being... It's just so out of control. It's not even funny. Look at the crime. Look at the drugs. Look at what's going on. You got gangs coming across now. MS-13, Trump was kicking them all out. Okay? So now the public can look at Joe Biden and say, this is one extreme. Trump was the other. Congress is now, all of a sudden, they're interested in it because they know, okay, we need to get something done here because the public is responding to what Donald Trump did that was actually working. Joe Biden has just torn that whole border apart. Anybody and everybody's coming across. We don't know what's going to happen in a week from now, in a month from now, in five months from now. Something horrific could happen because of that. 
Give it all that all of a sudden, everybody wants something done, and it's coming down to 5,000 people. That's still not good enough for me, Steve. I'm give it, sorry. Give it it all, should be nobody a day unless you're coming in legally. Given all that, what makes you think that if we reject this legislation, whatever this might end up looking like, and probably nothing because I don't think you're going to do anything, what, what time in the future are we ever going to get back to where we're going to have a, a real solution here? Like, why are you optimistic Steve, about Steve, if you pass legislation that allows people to come in and makes a bunch of lawyers rich representing them in, in, in the District of Columbia, I mean, go through the bill. This is not about stopping people getting into this country. This is just a big money-making scheme for everybody who has direct connections with somebody in Congress. That's all this bill is. I, and, they're trying, and there's just window dressing. They're trying to make it look like they're doing something because they know the public wants something done because they saw what Trump did and they start, they're seeing what Biden's doing. And now they want action because now they understand that this is a real danger to this country. All right, got to leave it there, Sam. Got to leave it there. Love the passion. Love, love the passion, buddy. Thanks. Thanks. Sam's always passionate. I love, I love the fact that he listens and, and cares about this issue so much. Um, look, we'll continue because I got a lot of calls, lots of texts. What, I, what I'm trying to, to say here, is this is again a bigger statement than than maybe a lot of people are focused on. This is a opportunity, a moment when you actually have a public that says, you know what? Even Democrats, even liberals, we got to do something. This is a little insane. What's happening? It's a mess down there. We're destroying, and maybe it took a you know a figurative cold hard slap across the face when, when some of the southern governors started shipping the, uh, the folks up to Chicago and Washington, D.C. and New York City so they could experience what the folks in the southwest were experiencing. Maybe that was the uh, figurative slap. I don't know. But for the first time in a long time, we have a growing feeling in this country that, to Sam's point about Ellis Island, there's a process. My grandparents followed it. Nothing wrong with that process. Worked well for generations. But yet when it's that border, that border with Mexico, no rules. And that's not rights. Do I have all the answers? No. I have both the HR2 bill from the House last year and the Senate proposal, what I know of it, on my screen here. There's hundreds of pieces to this thing, of each piece of legislation. I'm not going to sit here and read them all. It's a first step. And if we throw this first step out because a former president doesn't want the current guy to look good for doing something on immigration, then why have Congress? As we saw yesterday, it's a puppet show. It's nonsense. I started this talking about Congressman Gallagher. I applaud him. Some of the textures and callers want to get and We'll do that after this on WTMJ Now. One of the issues with talking about things like immigration... Actually, a lot of complex governmental issues, that they're complex. They're not easy to digest. I'm looking at the the H.R. 2 bill that the House passed last year. I mean, there's hundreds of pieces to this. The Senate proposes hundreds of different pieces, elements of what is supposed to be a bipartisan compromise on the border. Too much of our policy is now shaped by candidates and elected officials. So that taints taints the policy, which means more often than not in Congress, nothing gets done. Whatever you think about, you know, uh, there's a couple of callers I want to argue about the, the, the term illegal. I'll have the conversation. It's like, that's not the point. 
you know, we, we have this fascination with, with the words we use now. Changing words, because you don't like, you know, hungry is a bad word now. It's, what is it? Uh, food challenge or whatever it is. I mean, it's like, it's stupid. It's, it's dumb. But yeah, we're doing it. There's nothing wrong with the word hungry. Describes the situation pretty well, I think. But you can't say that. And whatever you call people who are coming into the country illegally, migrants, undocumented, illegal, I don't care. There needs to be an orderly process. And the reason we don't have an orderly process is because for decades, our elected officials have played games with this issue. And now because of the politicization of the world we live in, regular folks like you and I watch their shows, listen to their radio programs, and they're spouting the same talking points that the elected officials and candidates use. And this endless churn of nonsense continues day after day after day, year after year, decade after decade, and we have the problem still today. This idea that some people have that my side, whatever that side is, is going to get everything they want in legislation is stupid. That's not how government works. That's how dictators work. That's how dictator-led regimes work, where the citizens have really no power. One person often dictates everything. Vladimir Putin, for example. Is that what we're cheering for here? Because I see more and more people applauding Tucker Carlson for getting an interview with Vladimir Putin, who is a war criminal. Doesn't mean you can't talk to him, but don't pat him on the back, I guess is my take. I got to take another break here. I got a few calls on the line. I got lots of texts. I'll do the best I can to get those in. And if you want to continue the conversation, ask Steve anything as the 11 o'clock hour today. So we'll have plenty of opportunity for all of that. This is the WTMJ Now. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's WTMJ Now. News, opinions, Wisconsin. Everything you need to know in the Badger State and beyond. Here's your host, Steve Scafidi. That would be my cue. Happy Wednesday, everybody. That means Wednesday, 11 o'clock, we do a little something called Ask Steve Anything. Any question, fair game, an idea I stole from a, uh, a talker up in uh, Minneapolis, the state of Minnesota. Most good radio, radio ideas, segments, features are stolen from other people. That's what we do. We cannibalize each other. I try to do something different, though. And I, I still think I'm the only one around town doing this, so we'll, we'll keep it going as long as we can. Ask Steve Anything. Uh, I got to tell you, the text line... This is a great way to get a hold of, hold of me, 855-616-1620, WTMJ Talk and text line. I have not seen it as busy as it has been today in our last hour. I wasn't going to talk about the border immigration Congress for a full hour, but you guys were fired up, passionate. Everyone's got, a, everyone's got an opinion. Everyone has a, a right to an opinion, certainly. Here's the problem. With the rise of talk radio years ago and continues strong today, with the rise of the, the fake news slash opinion hosts on some of the big networks, the CNNs, the MSNBCs, the Foxes, and other Newsmax, OAN, all that stuff, the, the viewers slash listeners to those platforms all think they're experts now. And we are all walking around in this, in this world of experts. Here's the reality. It's, maybe this is tough love, I don't know. We're not experts on this stuff. There are people who are experts, and one of the things I'm going to do in 2024 is bring you those experts, whether they're experts on journalism or the law 
legal system, public safety, politics, yes, even politics, elected officials, the job of an elected official, the job of leading a community, their opinions actually carry more weights because they actually work in the area that they're talking about. doesn't mean you can't have an opinion. It's just not necessarily going to be as informed and as experienced as a subject matter expert. Does it make sense? So a lot of pressure on you, Al. You're starting us off on asking Steve ask anything. Al calling from Sherman Park. What say you, Al? So rather than start out with the assumption that we don't listen to experts, it's going to lead into my next question. Um, why are you blaming Trump for something that the voters can see with their own eyes, and why don't you think the voters aren't pushing this up from the bottom up to Trump, and Trump is just echoing what he hears the voters say. So you're talking about Trump in general and policy in general, or like a specific part of Trump? Yeah, you're talking about with this border, with this this immigration thing, because we saw when Biden came in that we didn't have this rate of border crossings and these people claiming faux or fake asylum and just allowing them in and releasing them, there are some uh, executive orders that the president undid, remain in Mexico, and then he put in executive order for catch and release that are uh, (laughs) exacerbating this this problem. And I think he should stew in his own poo, nor should we accept 5,000 illegals a day when even uh, Obama said 1,000 was a crisis. Yeah, I'm not blaming Trump. I'm blaming all elected officials because, and thanks for the call, Al. The problem that we've had here, I'm going to state it again. I don't want to just spend the whole hour talking about immigration and border policy, but we can if you want to. First of all, 5,000, I don't believe the language I've seen refers to illegal crossings. I believe it's an attempt to control the number of people who legally come across our border for whatever reason seeking asylum, whatever that is, in a more orderly process. One. Two. Sam, caller Sam used the Ellis Island example. Now, it's not the same thing. Ellis Island is a historical example. It's now a museum, not a place where people coming from other countries process through. But the example is a good one, actually, and it was a, it was a good analogy by Sam. For too long, and there's there's a lot to this, so I'll give you the explanation. Because of the history of this country and the history with Mexico, it's an imaginary border. For hundreds of years, people crossed back and forth, didn't matter. Including the early years of the United States. And then it did. For whatever reason, Mexican citizens feel they should be able to come to the United States. Seeking opportunity, employment, whatever it is. And that's been a hard transition for this country to understand, its citizens to understand that reality for those citizens of Mexico and beyond, South, South America. So somebody asked me for a solution before. Whatever legislation Congress comes up with, whether that's now or a year from now or maybe never, it should be a clearly defined process with as much politics removed from it that says this is a safe number, this is what we can adequately handle, here's the process. 
We have enough Border Patrol agents to make sure that people aren't crossing illegally, risking their own lives, by the way. Young children drowning in a river is not the best PR for a country as great as ours. My two cents. We were seeking asylum. Here's the process. We're not just catching and releasing people into our country because that's not good for our country. For all the reasons the callers laid out, whether that's human trafficking, drug trafficking, criminal activity, gangs, it's not a good look. So I, I think that's the way I would approach it. That's what I'm asking for is a reasonable, rational, common sense using adults. Removing the politics. I don't blame Trump. I don't. I blame them all, I guess is the right way to say it. Trump wasn't perfect. Biden messed the bed when he came into office. And here we are. We have to live with the results. I don't, I'm not one who idolizes political figures. I applaud them when they do something I think is the right thing to do, and I criticize them when I think it isn't. It's the way I approach it. I'm not about adulation or cult-like worship. And I think people that do that on either side are delusional at best. Doreen from Menominee Falls. Hi, Doreen. Hey, good morning, Steve. How are you? I'm good. How are you on this Wednesday? I'm doing okay. Okay. What's your question? I want to know, how do you feel about the ruling that came up yesterday about the Michigan mom? The mother of the school shooter? Yes. I, I believe she's guilty. Why do I say that? Because she ignored warning signs. She contributed to the needless deaths of, of students in her child's school. She had a big role to play in how that shook out. And I think it sends a strong message that in this country, even though you're not necessarily the shooter, if you contribute to a killing or violent crime, you're also somewhat responsible. Does that answer your question? Ah. Uh. I agree with you 110%. And I was just wondering if you were planning a future show on getting everyone's opinions on that. I I, I, I have been pushing for this. Uh, you brought this up a while, I don't know how long ago, and but that was my comment was we need to hold the parents accountable. And, and yes, we're raising them. We can't give up. We can't. Yeah. Um, no, I love your comment. Well, thank you, Doreen, and, um, and I will take your advice, and we'll do a, a future segment on that, because I think it's important. I I don't sugarcoat my response. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired about politics, and one of the things that drives me nuts is this will now be another example. People say, oh, that's too much. She didn't kill him. You know what? Until you actually start doing things, Jennifer Crumbly, the mom, dad, probably going to plead guilty now, or, or he'll face the same probably result that she faced. I thought her answers were flippant. I thought she disregarded her role as a parent in the worst possible way and created a dangerous situation not only for her son, who she should care about, but also for her son's classmates. And now innocent people are killed. I saw two of the parents on, I think it was CNN last night. What do you say to them? They raised their kids, sent them to school, they never come home. 
I was fortunate enough to meet with um, parents from Sandy Hook at several different events, including almost all of them at the White House in an event about six months after the shooting. And um, that's not something you forget, because it was still very raw then. And, and I sat in a room, a large room at the White House, and as the president and the vice president were talking about all of this, um, you could hear the parents crying. And I was sitting next to several mayors from around the country that had gone through mass shootings like we did, Ron Rordham from Blacksburg, Virginia, and a few others. And um, when you're sitting in a room with a couple hundred people and you have the vice president and the president of the United States standing there addressing this group of parents and families who have suffered probably the worst imaginable loss, and if you clearly if you don't know the Sandy Hook story, you, you're... You've been living in a cave. It is one of the most tragic situations because they sent first graders off and they didn't return. They were killed in the, in the most horrific way possible. So that understanding maybe gives me a little extra clue into what we should be doing. And frankly, to Doreen's question, that's a good first step. Parents need to be parents. And in the case of the Crumblies, they failed miserably. Join us for a little version of Ask Steve Anything. Lots of folks are texting questions. We've got some phone calls as well. 855-616-1620 from the text line 262. In what ways does the current Republican Party represent you? It seems the past 12 years, most reasonable Republicans are wishfully thinking the party will magically return to the Reagan-Bush years. It's a good question. I mean, I've talked about it sort of in uh, in the context of talking about specific issues related to our government and our, our leaders. Um my version of Republican policy ideology is that small government is the way to go. I'm not a fan of the government giving everybody everything, providing all these things. Doesn't mean we should eliminate that stuff. Just means we, we I think we create a, a, a class of people who get used to that, who don't have an incentive to improve their lot in life. And I think that's the story of, we were talking about immigration before. My grandparents came from Sicily with nothing. Raised their kids. Bought a home. The legacy of those two arrivals at Ellis Island not only led to great personal stories, family stories, but great success in a lot of different ventures. In a lot of different ways, that story could be a similar story to what happens on the border with Mexico, but we don't let that happen. It's become polluted by the politics of the day, which is now decades old. It says, we're going to argue about this. The arguing gets us votes. The, the disagreement plays well to our base, whether that's Republicans or Democrats. So my version of the Republican Party is one that believes in small government. Less taxes. Lean, mean, efficient local governments. Not trying to do everything for everybody. What it doesn't mean, however, is everybody gets to do it and say whatever they want to. Because rules matter too. There are standards and codes that we should all live by. Not religious standards, because we don't have a national religion, but standards of decency and conduct. And I think most Americans, most Republicans that I know that are 
not crazy, believe the same thing. So, great question. Steve calls from my favorite city, Oak Creek. Hey, Steve. Yeah, good morning. This is the other Steve from Oak Creek. My question is, how do you plan on covering the uh, RNC convention this summer when it's in Milwaukee? Are you going to be on site or just working from the studios? Uh, still being worked on, but the plan is for me to be on site working with our team here at WTMJ. So I'll be getting the interviews from the uh, Republican National Convention and trying to get uh, you know all the important voices and, and figures in this uh, really important event for Milwaukee. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be fascinating. Uh, it's a good tease. Thanks for the call. It's a good tease for my Decision Wisconsin podcast. I do two new ones every week. And um, I'm trying to cover this election, this campaign season, this uh, RNC coming to Milwaukee uh, from a lot of different angles, legal. Matter of fact, Thursday on the show, we're going to have actually a, a couple of legal experts. Um, but like today I'm interviewing a uh, a professor of political science to get the academic perspective on politics in America she teaches American history, political history, American politics. Um, and I talked to elected officials, former elected officials. I'm talking next week, and we'll, we'll have that available for you probably midweek next week. Um, CNN's chief political correspondent uh, from, from Congress, Manu, Manu Raju, who uh, does a great job covering the, uh, the senators and representatives who lead our country. So... You can find it on WTMG.com or wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and the like. Decision Wisconsin. And don't forget, Fideology, we're going to release them now on Fridays for your weekend consumption. And we got a really good one this week. I, I teased it the other day, but it's Gene Miller, former Wisconsin Morning News radio guy, local radio legend. Uh, and we had a lot of fun. We talked to him a little longer than I usually talk. We probably went 20-plus minutes, but he, Gene was amazing. Talked about a little bit about politics and uh, not so much about politics, but sports and the big the big thing you want to hear from Gene in that twenty plus minute conversation, his comments about Craig Council going to the Cubs. That's our little featured nugget. So that's part of the uh, the podcast. Scafidiology is the name of the podcast. Also available at WTMJ.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Another quick quick break. Ask Steve anything. What's your question? Ask Steve anything, any question, fair game, politics, culture, entertainment, sports, you name it. Here's a good one from the 262. If you could ask Donald Trump one question, what would it be? Uh, let's say a little context. This is, uh, let's say I'm going to ask him during the end days of this campaign for president 2024. Um, first, I would recite some of the things he's been convicted and possibly or charged with and potentially convicted of, including the E. Jean Carroll story, the stripper stuff, all that stuff. And I would say, given that, why why would we vote for you? Is this the conduct of a president of the United States? Now, he's not going to answer the question. And he's, he would say that's fake news, probably. He would say those stories are untrue. But I often say this about people who just deny everything, even though some of it's glaringly obvious. At some point, the rest of us are looking and saying, you know what? We've had a ton of presidents. We've had 46 now. Other than Richard Nixon and and a few early on in the tenure of our country, most of them didn't embroil themselves in these kind of controversies. They accepted their fates. They did the work. Obviously, the hyper-partisan world we live in now, although it was pretty hyper-partisan back in the early days as well, 
instantaneous communications change things. As I said before, everybody thinks they're an expert on everything now, and they're not, including radio hosts, by the way. So I guess that's the question I would ask him. It's kind of a long-winded answer to that question, but um, that's what I would ask him. Uh, question for Steve. Who would you choose to lead the RNC now that Ron McDaniel is being forced out and resigning after the South Carolina primary? I'd love to see Paul Ryan because he's actually a real Republican and a conservative. That's not going to happen. So here's what I would suggest to Donald Trump because he wants this thing over with so he can focus on the general election. Pick yourself. You're such a good fundraiser. See how good you are. Dirty little secret for Republicans is they're not raising anywhere near close enough to the number they need to run a successful candidate for president. Now, no shocking breaking news here. I don't think Donald Trump, although he will be the candidate more more than likely, is going to beat Joe Biden if he's the candidate. As unpopular as Joe Biden is. You can't be a Republican and win a presidential election when a third, let's say 30% of Republicans, can't stand you. Because the math doesn't work. You need all the Republicans and a ton of independents. And he's losing the independent battle as well. Is something going to change that between now and November? I guess maybe. Which leads us to Don from the West Side. Hi, Don. Hi, Steve. Uh, my question is, do you think that anyone, in what I can uh, consider the irrelevant Republican Party, will stand up to Trump, have enough guts to stand up to Trump and... Uh, try and stop what he's doing. Uh, I don't think they will. And you've got a, a disgraced former president basically giving orders to uh, the House of Representatives, and they say, yes, sir, yes, sir. Gallagher could be in some trouble because he's basically de- defying someone who could be the first uh, emperor of the United States. Yeah, it's a, thanks for the question, Don. I'll let you hang up and listen to the answer. Um, that's a fantastic question. Well, I mean, Paul Ryan has, right? He's a real Republican my mind. I know some people don't think so. I would think that, um, well, let's put it in this context. If Trump's a nominee and he's convicted before the actual first Tuesday, November, you're going to see a lot of Republicans say, yeah, I'm not going to, I can't do this. Unfortunately, it's too late. And This will make people mad, but, you know, I'm paid to have an opinion, at least right now. There is a time of reckoning coming. When you keep supporting nonsense and conspiracy theories, this works for both sides, because there's there's some members of the Democratic Party that are absolutely insane and demonstrate that every day. And and they, they have no illusion about actually trying to get things done, because they're such a small group. The squad comes to mind. Living in this fairy tale world where government hands out everything to everybody and nothing nothing is paid for. Deficits deficits explode. I, I think there has to be at some point a reckoning. And for Republicans it's gonna be hard because if Trump's a candidate, if he gets beaten by Joe Biden again, it's gonna get really ugly because he's not gonna go easy. And Republicans and conservatives are gonna be tested especially in this state, because there's still a lot of those people that are hanging out there saying, oh, this is all made up, he won the election, blah, blah, blah. They're going, it's a witch hunt. If he loses this election badly, you're going to be standing there holding a bag of air because there's nothing to base anything on. You lost. He lost. He let you down. 
And at some point, you have to understand that if you want to win elections, because Republicans in the state of Wisconsin, the angry ones, they don't seem to care about that. They like the anger. They don't necessarily care about the results of the elections, and they've lost, what, 14 out of 17. You want to actually start winning elections, you know, practicing real Republican principles of small governments, lower taxes, really concise, clear policy and legislation. It's not Donald Trump. Let's change gears completely. Tom from Anthem, Arizona. Hi, Tom. Hello, Steve. How are you doing this morning? I am wonderful. How are you doing? You're in Anthem, Arizona. I'll tell you what, Steve. It's cold out here. They've got the start of the waste management open. I know. It's 48 degrees here today. I'd rather be back in Wisconsin. It's. I think it's going to be 47 or 48 here today. So, yeah, that's not yeah, typical, can, That's yeah. not typical though. No, it's not. It really isn't. But, Steve, um, last night on the uh, on one of the Phoenix affiliates, they did a little feature on the growing cost of alcohol drinks uh, in, in restaurants and high-end restaurants in particular. And my wife and I have noticed this as well as we travel cross-country and been around, that a lot of high-end restaurants, Steve, are no longer uh, uh, posting their prices for drinks and a lot of their high uh, their high end venue items. It's all you know. It's uh, market value, market value. Mm. I guess my yeah, and, and we saw it in Albuquerque. We see it a lot out here in Phoenix. My question to you is, Steve, I, I think you go out quite a bit with your wife and enjoy a nice dinner. I do. When you see no price, when you see no prices on the menu, you know it's uh, it's just that the list of drinks with no pricing or it's market value. Is it is it proper to ask the price? Of a drink or or of a uh, of a entree item or you know we kind of if we want it we get it but then we get the bill and we say oh geez yeah no I, it's great it's a great time. question and, and thanks for tuning in all the way from Anthem Arizona yeah I would ask I also this is this is maybe maybe my wife and I do it differently than most people when we go to a restaurant that we've never been before we we searched our website before we go and if I see a restaurant that has a lot of things that are market price I'm going to ask some questions because I don't want to be surprised. Now, I'm not usually paying cash for this stuff, so, I mean, it's not that sort of a situation. But I don't want to be, you know, you know, expecting a, let's say, for two people at a really nice restaurant, 150 bucks or 200 bucks. I don't want the $500 surprise. Does that make sense? So I would certainly ask the question. So how common are market prices on menu? Because I only see it for, like, maybe crab legs or lobster tails. Yeah, it's mostly seafood. I, I was at a restaurant, I think it was called The Catch in Vegas, and I'm... I'm stumped right now on what hotel was that was in. It might have been Cosmopolitan, I'm guessing. Um, and they had a few of those. But we asked because that, that was one of those meals we had our daughters with us and their, and their husbands, our son-in-laws. The price wasn't the concern. It was, we wanted good food. So we asked. And I think it's some of those things we actually got. So I don't think it's real common. I, don't, I know it's not common in Milwaukee. There may be a few places, and especially for like the crab legs, because crab legs are like skyrocketing in price. That would be an example of that. All right, I think we got another break here, right? Another break, and then uh, we got more time. Ask Steve anything. Got a couple of callers here. Lots of texts. We'll get to those and your questions next. <laughs> Ask Steve anything. Our weekly foray into you all out there in Radio Land, leading the uh, leading the hour, going where you want to go. Um, some great questions on the text line. Got some callers as well. We'll try to get those folks in. We got another. Couple breaks we got to get in here. Uh, let's see. 
you think the gender pay gap in the U.S. could be explained by a combination of different socioeconomic decisions like job type, maternity leave, interest in STEM fields, or do you think that this country's a bunch of dirty, rotten sexists? No. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Now, you're a fool if you don't think women have suffered because of men controlling everything for hundreds of years. So don't think that. But I think we sometimes, as we often do, we, we go too far and we try to make everything appear like it's you know, black and white. It's not. There's nuance to everything. And because of, in some case, physical liabilities that, that women have that men don't have, although women surprise me sometimes. It's amazing. Women firefighters certainly picking up the slack. There, there are challenges. And I've used this analogy before. Everybody, when they have a problem, we have an issue in this country, or an issue in your family, it's not that you can fix it always on day one. Sometimes things take a little time to course correct. And that's true for things like the gender pay gap and racism. These things don't get fixed overnight. We wish they would and hope that they could, but that's not the reality. The unfortunate reality is if you're talking about racism, there's people that are racist. I think that's changing. I just saw this stat the other day, and I'm, 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 it's a general guess because I don't remember the exact numbers. More and more marriages in, in our country, United States, are interracial. I could be wrong on this, but by definition, that growing number, which I think was 16%, I would think that would sort of demand that those two people of different races who are deciding to marry each other would probably tamp down racism in our country, I would think. And that number only grows every year, so it's just a kind of a different way of looking at a, a stats, but um, sort of a long-winded answer, but I hope I, I got to what you were trying to figure out there. Chris from Wauwatosa, welcome to the show. Happy Wednesday. Hey, happy Wednesday, Steve. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I, I always love your show and, and your politics, and as a Democrat, I uh, you have me switching more towards Nikki Haley. Uh, but the question that I have for you is, what are your thoughts on Republicans um, that are kind of ruling out of fear of Donald Trump versus the Democrats, which seem to be um, kind of working as a team to get things done in Congress? And I'll hang up to, to listen to your answer. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for the kind words. Thanks for the question. Um, I think it's dumb. <laughs> I think they are living in fear. I don't know what they're afraid of, to be honest. What's he going to do to you? If you're, if you're an elected official, whatever level you're at, and your principal fear in life is that you're going to lose your position, your priorities are messed up. These are not guaranteed lifetime jobs unless you're your Supreme Court justice. So I don't get that fear. The Trump legacy, I think, my opinion, I know some of you love Donald Trump, and that's okay. We live in a great country that allows you to have that opinion. He's dumbed down. A lot of things that I used to appreciate were held to a higher standard. Presidential conduct, how you communicate with people, how you treat other people, how you respect other people. And I'm embarrassed, the other part of this, by people that I know and respect on my side of the political aisle who have embarrassed themselves by doing one of two things, supporting some of this nonsense, or two, staying silent as these things are happening. And those people know who they are. They, they're going to have to defend themselves at some point. And they are certainly vocal on a lot of other things, but when it comes to Donald Trump, they embarrass themselves with their silence 
or with their support. And the comment on the Democrats is a good one. I had Ben Wickler on my Decision Wisconsin podcast. I'm not a Democrat, but I respect a well-run organization. He's an example of that. He's really good at what he does. Really good. And he's going to be on the program a lot through 2024 because we're on both sides. Leaders from both sides, electors from both sides, candidates from both sides. And their organizational, his organizational skills are as good as it gets. Ben Wickler, chair of the Wisconsin's Democratic Party. Uh, Steve from Hartford. Hey, Steve. Welcome. Hi, Steve. Can you hear me all right? I can. I can. Okay. Um, I was just wondering, if uh, a number of years ago, there was a big concern over um, the foundation pilings under some of the older buildings in downtown Milwaukee with the water levels changing and the old wood pilings rotting. And I was just wondering if you knew of any update on that situation, given all the development downtown and the deterioration of things like the domes. I just haven't heard anything lately. Is that still a concern under the downtown Milwaukee, some of the... I don't. Yeah, to answer your question, I don't think so. But it actually, prompts me. Thanks for the call, Steve. It prompts me to actually do a little more, um, a little more research on that. I, I, I heard those concerns. Um, I just did a quick look on Lake Michigan water levels and where we're at, and I think it's, it's showing that there won't be a significant change as of right now. Um, we had some good rainfall totals. We had a little bit of snow, um, but obviously that can change quickly, right? We've had years where it's been way down and it's starting to sort of rebound a little bit. Matter of fact, the the latest data on Lake Michigan water levels means. Uh, likely about six inches below the same month in 2023. So not a huge amount, but when you think about six inches with the volume of water in Lake Michigan, that is a big amount when you think about all the rain and ice that would have been. Uh, we'll take a break here. You're listening, of course, to WTMJ Now. A few more minutes left. Ask Steve anything. Do I have another break yet? Do I have a, still another break? Oh, my goodness. I did not... Do a good job with time management this hour. It was so good in hour one, and maybe even hour two, but I'm not perfect. We all know that. Um, lots of uh, questions coming in. Very busy text line day today. I'm, I'm not I'm not kidding. Like a thousand texts today. So good job to all of you listening out there. 855-616-1620. Um, Steve, Brock Purdy was Mr. Irrelevant, last person picked in the NFL draft, and is in the Super Bowl. Mahomes is the top 20 pick and is in the Super Bowl again Think Tom Brady late rounder. Do NFL scouts really know what they're doing with high draft picks, or is it really just a job of chance that any of us could probably do? I think it's sort of a, a mixed bag, right? Some of these top drafted quarterbacks turn out to be amazing. And even though it took him a while to get there, Jordan Love, he might be one of those. Aaron Rodgers, first round draft pick, Hall of Famer. I think Brett or Brett Favre, if I remember, was picked by the Falcons either at the be- end of the first or beginning of the second. He's a Hall of Famer. But then you have the, the Tom Brady's, and you have the uh, the Brock Purdy's. But there's one thing about football, NFL football specifically. It's a team sport. So Brock Purdy's surrounded by some pretty great athletes, as was Tom Brady. I'm not a Tom Brady lover, per se, but I understand his talent. He's the greatest quarterback to ever play as a, on a team in the NFL. I don't know that skills-wise he's the greatest quarterback. I would say maybe Peyton Manning, maybe even Aaron Rodgers, if you take the crazy out. So I think there's always room for interpretation. Um, I love the Brock Purdy story. That being said, I'm still cheering for the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I think Patrick Mahomes has a chance to be the best ever. Uh, let's see. This might be a, a – well, I'm going to take it. Charlie from Germantown, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. 
question, another football question. I have a, one of my grandsons just finished fourth grade flag football. He's played a couple of years of that. If he continues on next year, he can go to play uh, tackle football. So if he plays through high school, that's another eight years of football. Let's say he's good enough, goes to college and plays football. That's another four years. That's 14 years of football. Let's say by some fluke, he's good enough to go to the NFL. When he gets there, they say he's a rookie and he has everything to learn. <laughs> After hundreds of games, thousands of practices for 14 or 16 years, does is he really that that unknowledgeable is my question. And, and is he really a rookie or does he just have to – fit into the system. You're a football guy, so I'll value your opinion. Yeah, thanks for the It's a great, unique question, Charlie. So two answers, really. Um, no, he doesn't have a lot to learn about the game of football. He has a lot to learn about the speed and the tempo of the NFL. I, I've sat on a sideline or stood on a sideline during NFL football games. Two things. Faster than you could ever imagine, and the players, even the small players, are bigger than you could ever imagine. And when you take those two things and combine them, that's the lot to learn piece. It's it's a significant upgrade from college level football to the NFL. And ask anybody who's played NFL football. That's why anybody these people, any these quarterbacks, pass catchers, that's such a specialized skill. Although I wish your uh, r- relative luck there. That's a you know if you love it, try see what happens. Uh, let's see. You mentioned you would ask that you would ask questions of Trump if his conduct was becoming of a president of the United States. What about Biden and Hunter finding cocaine in the White House? There are questions. I've said this all along. I'm no lover of Joe Biden. If there are things that Joe Biden or Hunter Biden or cocaine in the White House, if there are things that are worth pursuing as far as investigations, court cases, trials, convictions, I'm all in. But let's not spend all our time pursuing things that don't have any evidentiary basis. Sort of like impeachments that don't really have any water holding them up. Makes sense? Uh, got to take another break here, then we'll wrap it up, and then we'll uh, toss to the news at the top. You're listening, of course, to WTMJ Now. Last few moments of this Wednesday hump day edition of WTMJ Now. Got a special 9 o'clock hour tomorrow. We're going to have two legal experts. Attorneys, both. Matt O'Neill. Milwaukee attorney and James Santel, former U.S. attorney, he does a little radio as well, and we'll talk about all the swirling legal stories, Wisconsin Supreme Court, Trump trials, questions of presidential immunity with my two guests, 9 o'clock hour tomorrow. Don't forget we have the uh, Mineshaft giveaway at the uh, 1108 mark on the show tomorrow. And as I always always say, and John McCure echoes, buy one pizza, get one free on Thursday at the uh, wonderful Mineshaft restaurant in the beautiful downtown Hartford.